Thank you, Renata. Interesting passage, and the reason why we have read that passage is because we're going to be dealing with the call of Elisha, which is in the Old Testament. But here we see Jesus calling his disciples, and what's amazing to me is this. They've been fishing all night, caught nothing. That's what they do, is catch fish, and they've wound up with nothing, but Jesus is Lord over the fish. And then he calls them to follow him, and he will call them to catch people for the kingdom of God. So we're going to be dealing with the the call of Elisha. So we're going to go back to the 9th century B.C. You don't need to worry about time travel, but you know where we're going to be. In that time, of Elijah and Elisha, and we're going to learn about the call of Elisha. Before we do, we need to go to prayer. I mean, there are people, they are voting right now, and we need to be in prayer. We've got a major election happening this weekend. The results will soon, we'll soon find out. We are the people of God. We pray for this nation. We pray for the election, and let's do it right now. The other thing that we've been asked to pray for is continuing prayer for the refugees, for the, the ministry that we want to have through the church in uh, Romania, So let's just pray for that situation and beg God for peace. So go to the Lord in prayer. Any uh, prayer requests you have, especially as you want to pray for those with COVID, the spread of COVID in our community, just pray again for grace. Let's pray silently and then I'll lead us. Father, we just want to humble ourselves before the throne of grace. We praise you that you are the living God and you hear the prayers of your people and you care. Lord, you are holy and righteous in all you do. You are the sovereign God over all creation, the maker of heaven and earth. You are the one who sent Jesus Christ in love to be savior of the world. And Lord, we acknowledge this world needs saving. We thank you that Jesus has come, and he made disciples, and we are part of those disciples. Lord Jesus, we do pray that we would be faithful to our calling. First, we just want to pray for this nation, for the election that's taking place this weekend. Father, we do not know who the winners will be, but you know all things. But right now, we want to pray for whoever you call to lead this nation, for those who will be sent to Parliament. And Father, I pray that these people, whoever they may be, would call upon the name of the living God. Father, for the Church of Jesus Christ, we want to be faithful in prayer, to pray for those in leadership. And I do pray that they would lead in righteousness, that they would make judgments that are good for this nation and for our world. Father, we also want to pray for the needs of our world. We pray for these Ukrainian refugees that we have together committed as a church. We will care for them. And in that, that way, through the international church in Bucharest, we just pray that you would help us. that they would be the hands of Jesus Christ and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. 
Father, for the needs of our community, and they are great, we recognize that there's a lot of pressure right now in the hospitals, doctors and nurses, ambulance drivers. We thank you for them. Father, we ask for grace. For those who have COVID right now, we just pray for your mercy upon them and their recovery. And Lord, right now we want to look to your word and ask that you would speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the theme, if you'll notice, brand new series, Life of Elisha, Taking God Seriously. And what I, my job is to show you throughout his ministry, there's going to be this sense of what does it mean to take God seriously? So let me start with this story uh, about a man named Christian Herder. Most of you haven't heard of him. If you have, I'm extremely impressed. I don't know about him except for this story. But he was the two-term governor of the state of Massachusetts in America. The other thing he did is he became the Secretary of State in America. So at one point, he was put on the cover of Time magazine. It's a big deal to be on the cover of Time magazine. And twice, he was put on the cover of Time magazine. You haven't heard of him. I haven't heard of him, but he was a big deal in his day, okay? So here's the story. He is candidating and running for office again in Massachusetts for a second term as governor. He's been candidating all day, and he goes that afternoon to a church picnic, much like the one we're going to have. He goes to the line, and they're serving chicken, and the woman there puts one piece of chicken on his plate. Now, he's really hungry, he's been working all day, and he says to the woman, excuse me, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? The woman looks at him and she says, only one piece of chicken per person. Now, Herder, according to his biography, it was was a very modest man, but he was also a very hungry man that day. So he says to the woman, you know, I, I don't, ever like to to throw my weight around, but do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. And the woman looks at him, and she says to him, do you know who I am? I'm the person in charge of the chicken. Only one per person. Please move along. Now, why am I telling that story? Well, this man was a weighty man. This man was governor of Massachusetts. His picture would eventually wind up on the cover of Time magazine. He was an important man, but she didn't really care. She was in charge of the chicken. Now, here's my question. Do we take God seriously? One of the interesting things in the Hebrew Bible is this. So the Hebrew Bible, uh, the words were made up of consonants, and, and generally three, and the letters that make up the word for the, the, the understanding of to be important, or to be honored, or glorified, those, that Hebrew word has is its base meaning heavy, weighty, In other words, there's something of substance there. So when we recognize that God is worthy of our praise, adoration, and worship, we are saying he is of weight, of substance, of importance. 
my question to you right now is, do you take God seriously? That's what we're going to be dealing with in the life of Elisha. Most of us would say, yeah, well, I take him seriously. So then my second question is this. How serious do you take the call of God on your life? When was the last time you even thought about the call of God on your life? Have you ever thought about the call of God on your life? Look over to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to highlight a, a few key words in here, but we're going to deal with this key thought of call or calling. The Apostle Paul writes to the New Testament church at Ephesus, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to the church in Subiaco as well. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Did you ever pick that up? The word called there is synonymous with saved. It's basically meaning when you were saved, you were called by God. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. And that is the God that we are called to take seriously. And when he calls you and me, Paul says you have a calling. We need to take that seriously. So what we're going to do is we're going to think about it. What does it mean that God has a call on my life? We're going to start with the life of Elisha. Turn with me to 1 Kings, going back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll begin in verse 19. You can see the passage on the screen behind me. I'm going to read the word of God. I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor this portion of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. We're dealing in the life of Elisha, but we're going to start out with someone who sounds similar, Elijah. So we'll look at this, but the heading is the call of Elisha. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This is the call of Elisha. You may be seated. A couple thoughts as we think about the call of God and the call of God on our lives. The first one is this. The call of God is not to be taken lightly. 
Our God reigns. He is sovereign over all things. When he calls, when he speaks, we don't take that lightly and we don't say, I'm the person in charge of the chicken. We have weight to our God and he is worthy of our honor and praise and worship. Now let me talk about the context that we're dealing with. So we see in the Bible reading that Elijah calls Elisha. Here's the context, just briefly. So as I say, we're in the 9th century B.C., and, and Ahab is the king, Jezebel is the queen. There's a point where Elijah goes on top of Mount Carmel, and he confronts the 450 prophets of Baal, who can call down fire from heaven. Very familiar story in the, in the Old Testament. Elijah prays and he calls down fire from heaven. Now, afterwards, Elijah is threatened by Jezebel, the wicked queen. He flees and he becomes depressed. And he, he says to God, in essence, God, I'm the only one left. Everyone's being slaughtered. All your prophets are gone. No one worships you but me. God says to Elijah, there are still 7,000 people who have not bowed a knee to Baal. And then he says, I want you to go, and I want you to anoint Elisha. So look over at 1 Kings chapter 18, and we'll see that event. Verse 38. I'm sorry, beginning verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stone and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So after this event, Jezebel threatens him. He becomes depressed. But God is going to say, You're not alone, and I am going to have you call another man, Elisha, to be your servant to be a prophet with you. So he finds Elisha in a field plowing. Now, 11 teams of oxen go by. There's 12, and apparently Elisha and his family over these, but he casts that mantle, that cloak, on Elisha. So he lets 11 go by, and then he puts his cloak on Elisha, the 12th one. He's driving the 12th one. The cloak, or the mantle, is a token of spiritual power it's also an identification with Elijah. Now let me give you the first principle when it comes to taking God seriously. Taking God seriously means he has the right to call us into his service. He has the right to change the trajectory of our lives. What right does he have to do that? Because he is God. He is the one who sends fire from heaven He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one who made you in his image, and he has the right 
could change the trajectory of Elisha's life and your life. He has that kind of weight. He is God. Elisha understands, and he simply has a simple request, let me say goodbye to my parents. Verse 21, he goes back, but then you notice he does something very radical. He slaughters the yoke of oxen. He burns the plowing equipment and cooks the oxen over the plowing equipment. So there was a time, if you want to think about it in this way, there was a time when Elisha was just following these oxen, two oxen. And God says, no, you're not going to be following the oxen anymore. Now you're going to be following Elijah, the prophet. Now, one of the things we need to be very careful with when we think about the call of God is it's easy sometimes to say, well, they're secular and they're sacred. The secular is the oxen, the sacred is the prophet. I just want to talk a little bit about that because there's a danger of making a huge distinction there. And so let me apply this by talking about the primary or distinguishing the primary call from the secondary call. So let's talk about the primary call. The primary call of God on our lives is to follow Jesus Christ. That's your call. That's my call. It doesn't matter what your calling or occupation is. We are all called to be followers of Jesus Christ. No one is let off the hook. Jesus tells his disciples, you go and make disciples of all the nations. I have all authority, remember, great commission, all authority, all weight, all power is given to me. You go and make disciples in my name, baptizing them, teaching them to obey what? Well, a few things that I said. No, teaching them to obey all my commands, all that I taught. Why? Because he is Lord. And the primary calling for all of us is to follow Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to do. Let me go over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. The Apostle Paul is going to apply that uh, calling in this way. He says, verse 23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So it doesn't matter what you do. Your calling is to work as to the Lord, for the Lord, not working for human masters. So that's my primary calling. And by the way, it's your primary calling. It doesn't matter what you do. You work is unto the Lord. You serve the Lord. He is your Lord and Master. But then there's a secondary calling. Because not all of us are called to do the exact same job. The secondary calling is specific activity of living out our faith. Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, was a, a lot of help on this, and, and he, he writes in his blunt style, but he's going to talk about this secondary calling, and this is what he says, and this is from Oz Guinness's book called The Call. As he quotes Luther, he, Luther says this, the works of monks and priests, which we often would say, oh, it's, that's very uh, uh, sacred. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God, from the works 
of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household task, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. You hear what he said? Don't make a big deal between the sacred and the secular. The key, Reformation key, is faith alone. Are you working, Colossians 3, as to the Lord? That's the deal. He goes on and he says, Indeed, the menial housework of a manservant or a maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fastings and other works of a monk or priest because the monk or priest lacks faith. Don't just act like you're honoring God because you've got a sacred calling. No, are you doing it in faith? Are you serving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and being? That's what we're called to do. So the secondary calling is that specific thing, but what Luther is saying is no matter what that is, you need to do it in faith. Go back to that primary calling. God has called us to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're an educator, you do it as a follower of Christ. A doctor, a nurse, factory worker, a tradie, you honor that call. You serve Christ in that calling. Some he calls to be pastors, some he calls to be missionaries. Praise God. But all of us are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. All of us are called to live by faith, not just Elisha, and not just the missionaries among us, all of us. The call of God is not to be taken lightly. Here's the second point. Jesus called a discipleship is serious business. So I'm using the passage from Luke 5, which we heard in our Bible reading. So in our, our text in the Old Testament, Elisha slaughters the oxen, cooks the meat over the plowing equipment, and it's a graphic picture that there's no return for Elisha. I mean, these are his oxen. Once he slaughters them, he's not going to be able to you know, use them anymore. He takes that plowing equipment, and that becomes what he uses to burn and to cook the meat. He's basically saying, that's it. There is no return for me. I'm going to take the call of God seriously, and there's no going back. Now, we can say, well, we're New Covenant Christians. We're New Testament people. Now, that doesn't happen anymore. Totally different system, right? I want you to think about the primary call of Jesus Christ to us. Follow me. Be my disciple. Make disciples. There's a summary of the call of the first disciples in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And we've already read from Luke, so I'm going to read from this passage. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, notice what they did. Remember Elisha what he does with the oxen and the plow. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Now, I want to go back to the Luke passage because it's a, it's a, a, a bigger story. But Jesus tells them to uh, cast their nets on the other side. Well, we've been fishing all night. 
we're professional fishermen. That's what we do. We catch fish. Sometimes the effort is fruitless, but we worked hard at it. We know what we're doing. But Peter says, because it's you, Lord, we'll, we'll go out and we'll, we'll do that. They cast their net, and what do they do? They catch so many fish, they can't even haul them. They have to call their friends over, their mates over, to, to, to fill up these boats with fish. What is Jesus proving to them? Your business is fishing, but I'm Lord of all. It's nothing for me to call the fish into the net because I'm Lord of all. But I'm not specifically calling the fish into the nets. I'm calling you to be my followers and to make and to be fishers of men, women, and children, to catch people for the kingdom of God. That's his call. And what do they do? Peter says, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinful man. He's aware that he is in the presence of a holy one, the Son of God. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. What do they do? They left their nets and they followed Jesus. New Testament calling. Jesus called a discipleship as serious business. It still is in our call. Elisha asked to say goodbye to his parents. But I want you to notice in a similar situation, someone says to Jesus, I'm going to kiss my parents goodbye as well. But look over at Luke chapter 9. Excuse me, in Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. What's he saying? You've got to put weight behind what I say. When I tell you to follow me, you follow me. There's no priority more important than following Jesus Christ. Do you hear the call? It's God's call to Elisha, and it's God's call to you and me today. Jesus is Lord. We follow him with our entire lives. It's radical. And Jesus treats himself as one with great weight because he is God the Son. Do we ever treat Jesus lightly? Oh, Jesus said it, but it's just a suggestion. It's nice. We don't really need to listen. We don't really need to obey. For Elisha, he slaughters the oxen, burns the plow, and follows Elijah. Now, I want you to think about this. One greater than Elijah has come. Who is he? He's Jesus the Lord. And Jesus is the one who puts his mantle on us, and he says to us, you follow me. Do you take it seriously? Do you take it seriously? I want to talk and, and share, and this is, I'll be a closing story, about a, a man named Will, William Wilberforce. So this is a picture of William Wilberforce, parliamentarian in England, and it was during the time of the slave trade in England. And it was horrible, horrific, it was awful. But William Wilberforce, at the age of 25, converts to Christianity. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a parliamentarian. He has a pastor whose name is, you may be familiar with this man, his name is John Newton. John Newton, who was a former slave ship captain who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. This is his pastor. 
And he goes to Newton, he says, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. Should I give up politics and now become a minister? Newton says to him, no, you keep doing what you're doing. That's your calling. You're a parliamentarian, and your calling is to serve God in parliament. So what did William Wilberforce do? I used to sometimes try to tell my kids and, and others, in America, we had slavery. It took a war between the states to get rid of it. But we had to get rid of it. In England, they had William Wilberforce. Praise God. They had one man who would not give up until slavery was gone. One man called of God to be a parliamentarian and to serve God in his field. What is God calling you to do? He calls you to follow Jesus Christ, to obey him, to love him, to serve him. No matter what your occupation, you serve Jesus Christ. Let me repeat the question. Do you take the call of God seriously? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you have called us. You say, my, my sheep hear my voice, they know it, they follow me. And this day, we want to affirm, we will follow you, Lord Jesus. You are worthy, weighty. You are God the Son, and you are Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you came and died on the cross for our sins. You are worthy of our sacrifice, our lives, our commitment. We pray that we would take that commitment very serious. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to go to the time of the Lord's Supper. And now we're going to go back to that, that time in the upper room where Jesus is meeting with his disciples. Jesus takes his own words, his own actions, very seriously. So serious that he would set up the Lord's Supper so that it would be a perpetual reminder to the church that he is to be treated as Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul says, whenever you take the bread and drink from the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's something we take very serious. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've committed to him because you've received the good news, the gospel in your own life. Not by what you have done, not by what you've accomplished for Jesus, but what he has done for you. He died on the cross for sinners like us. If that's your faith, that's your hope, that's your calling, then the Lord suffers for you. It's a reminder of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's take a moment to prepare our, our hearts for this time. It's a time where we confess our sins and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord.
Jesus, meet with us right now, we ask. Remind us of grace, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and that you will come again in glory. In Christ's name, amen. As I said, this is for those who call Jesus Lord. If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know with all sincerity, the best news I can give you right now, this moment, is it is by grace through faith you can be saved. You will be saved by believing in Christ Jesus. The one who died and rose again. If that is your faith, then this supper is for you. If you've never put your faith in him, the offer to believe is there right now. But until you have believed, we'd ask that you not, procure, not uh, partake of the Lord's Supper because it's intended for those who have faith. As we operate, again, during these COVID times, as you know, those on the side will go to the side, those in the center will come to the center. So let me ask the first five, 10 rows in each section, go ahead and stand up and you may come and receive the elements. And I'm gonna ask that you would hold them and in just a couple of moments, we'll partake together. from Ephesians 3, just think about this and then go back to chapter 4. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Chapter 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. We hear the weight of this God that we worship and serve. He is the living God, and we are his people. One of the callings of his people in a dark world is to take God seriously. Jesus Christ gives his disciples the bread, and he says, this is my body. Take in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And he takes the cup, and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's for you. Take. 
pray with me. Father, we want to recognize you as the living God right now. We have hope and we have faith and we have life and we have forgiveness and we have grace. We have eternity. I pray that you would help us to grasp that. And Lord, as we live these lives, I pray that we would take you seriously. That the watching world would see this and they would recognize that there is a living God. And you are the one we worship. In Christ's name.